Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and thank you for listening on. Today, I have a wonderful guest. Uh, she is an amazing person. Say hi to Dr. Sharon Burgess. Say hi to everyone, Sharon. Hello. How's everyone? <laughs> I am so glad that you are here today. Um, I'm so ready to, you know, let the audience, listening audience to share and listen to your story and your pathway, you know, towards, uh, you know, health and lifestyle and wellness. And I'm just very, 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 very excited for her to be here. For those of you who do not know who Dr. Sharon is, she is a Rollins Senior Distinguished Clinician and Assistant Professor in Medicine um, in the Division of General Medicine and Geriatrics at Emory University of School of Medicine. Um, she is also the medical director of the health program, and she leads the research program um, at the Internal Medicine Clinic. She has founded and direct, directs the Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness Program, where she aims to develop innovative programs to shifting our culture and health system towards a preventative um, and wellness and helping people and communities live healthier and more vibrant lives. Um, she's a regular medical uh, contributor to local and national news, including Good Morning America, CNN, Fox News Network, NPR, and the Wall Street Journal. Um, I'm so glad for you to be here. Um, thank you for lending your time and voice uh, to today's show. Thank you so much for having me, Colin. Um, so I would love to know, I, my first question is, I love knowing how um, people start off. Um, the centerpiece of the podcast is really understanding their story. And, you know, we, many episodes, uh, you know, you could easily shift towards the science and how we, you know, uh, talk about health, but it's really about the centerpiece of where people get go from point A to point B. So I would love to know if you can share a snippet of your story of what led to your path to lifestyle, medicine, and wellness. Yeah, you know, Colin, I think a lot of the paths we end up taking in life kind of happen um, more by happenstance um, in an organic way. Um, so there's this kind of natural start into wellness that happened um, kind of more in this serendipitous way and then a more intentional way um, later in life when I entered healthcare. So I will go way back um, and say probably the most um, formative influence was back when I was in junior high. My father had had a heart attack. Mm -hmm time. Um, you know, I knew the situation was serious. Um, and 
Fortunately, he survived, but subsequent to that, our entire family began making small changes. Um, Some of that was in the foods we would eat for dinner. My mother took it upon herself to really understand nutrition and change from the you know, more oily ethnic foods that we were used to eating to uh, more whole ingredients. Um, We started learning about vitamins and nutrients as a family. Uh, My father, who follows physician directions to a T, began (laughs) every day um, for an hour by walking. And it got our entire family to join him. We would all go through these trails um, through this local river that's here in Atlanta. And uh, we would jog, walk every evening. And what I think about that when I look back is that it really was a journey to wellness. I mean, we didn't call it that back then, but it was this organic evolution into a lifestyle that in our entire family's trajectory has made a tremendous difference. You know, I'm happy to say that, you know, my father's still with us and still uh, is remaining active and has aged, you know, very gracefully, if I may say so. Um, (laughs) You know, my mother's done the same. Um, So that was kind of the more organic introduction into wellness. It was through, you know, personal life and and how it transformed um, the health of my family. The more intentional was when I entered healthcare. I've been uh, practicing uh, post-residency for 20 years now. Um, in internal medicine, and internal medicine focuses on prevention and management of chronic disease. And the further I've gotten along in trying to help my patients, the more I realize the value of lifestyle change and how true disease management and prevention can't be done in any other way. Yeah, that's awesome. I think a lot of times we take it from either our personal experiences, we hear a lot of um, success stories in terms of, okay, this is this health journey or health experience that I've experienced. And then I realized that I had to pick myself up and change things around, you know, or, um, you know, sound, it sounded like for you, um, it was more of a family, you know, uh, a family unit and your journey as a as you know, your parents distilling certain things growing up that you wanted to naturally progress um, into. Um, where's your family originally from? Um, from Iran. From Iran, great. And what was? Tell me what was the the cuisines like? Tell me what was the food like? Uh, you know, in the household for you. Um, very ornate and, and time intense. Uh, so I'm sure my mother probably welcomes some of the changes, although she still enjoys um, cooking. Um, but a lot of stews, um, the stews often had oil in them, um, but also full of a lot of herbs, you know, influenced by the Mediterranean dietary pattern. So full of a lot of herbs and spices and flavors, Um definitely contains a lot of, you know, vegetables chopped up. Um, And so there are a lot of healthy components, but it also included a lot of meat, a lot of chicken, um, and, you know, some dietary fat that I would avoid uh, in the present day. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, I really, really enjoy, uh, Mediterranean and, uh, Persian and Lebanese type of uh, cooking. And I don't know if they all share, it sounds like they share similarities. Um, I don't think I've ever had Iranian food before, but um, I would imagine they share a lot of similarities in terms of there's a lot of fresh herbs to, to it. There's a lot of spices, uh, regional spices as well. Um, so I can imagine it's very tasty, but um, at the same time, I have come across uh, a lot of foods with a lot of oils, a lot of grilled meats, um, a lot of fried items as well. So, and having grown up uh, in a Chinese household, uh, you know, similarly, we grew up with a lot more natural foods, a lot more foods that were home cooked. And so I definitely appreciate the fact of understanding where food came from and understanding uh, what food actual food is. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, my, before we ha actually had Asian markets, um, my dad and I, we grew up in New Jersey, um, and we would go into Manhattan to the Chinatown there and we would visit the Chinatown and the Asian markets there. So before we actually had, um, you know, nearby supermarkets. And so, you know, that whole process really made me appreciate food, um, before I delved into it later in my adult career. So, um, so that's, uh, that's awesome. So the next question for you is, you know, for you, it doesn't, it didn't sound like it was more of a personal health journey, but for, for, you know, and as actual transition into from, you know, general medicine, internal medicine and leading into, you know, what you, you know, presently practice. Can you give me, um, a few examples, um, of different, uh, aha moments in terms of whether you saw a series or a trend or a pattern within patients' uh, health or, uh, you know, I guess their medical condition that led you to feel like, okay, I really need to dwell deeper into this because I've talked about this earlier in my show where, um, you know, we're not given enough nutritional slash uh, lifestyle related education. Um, I think the last related survey uh, that polled uh, medical schools was around uh, 2010 and it 27% of them required a nutritional course. And I know for me, biochemistry, you know, when I learned about nutrition, it was only 10 credit hours and mostly it was biochemistry. So I had to delve deeper. What was it for you that, you know, helped you transition to say, okay, I need to go deeper into this? Yeah. So, you know, Colin, I have quite a few examples of how I've implemented lifestyle medicine and um, a lot of the learning and skill set and understanding what lifestyle medicine is, is work that I did on my own really in skill building. As you mentioned, um, the training isn't the one that you typically get in medical school. I, I wish it were, but um, I went to medical school like I'll date myself about 25 years ago. Um, so it was even less um, common and appreciated to have a foundational education in nutrition, as well as other components of wellness back then. So a lot of the learning was inspired by a desire to understand healthy aging um, mm. is one of my academic interests and in, in the area where um, I'm doing some research around. And besides understanding it from a clinical study 
uh, way where we get a lot of evidence-based information, I have practiced you know, what I preach um, because I feel to be effective at being a clinician, you have to do the work that yeah. you tell your patients to do. Um, and you also along the way realize, you know, what's practical, what's hard to do, um, where the pain points are. So you become better at coaching and counseling people. And then in my patients who have been open to the idea of managing their disease um, through a more natural way, um, you know, I've certainly put quite a few people on plant-based diets and I've seen dramatic changes in their blood pressure and their blood sugar and their cholesterol, you know, and I've seen the changes it's made and how they feel and how they function. Um, and, and those are just, there's so many similar examples that it makes the type of work that we're doing so gratifying. What, um, what are some aspects of, um, what you practice, uh, you know, that you do for yourself, because I think, I think it's very important for the listening audience to hear that their physician, you know, does the same thing. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you're trying to go to the gym and you're trying to, you know, get into, uh, improving your fitness and improving your physical activity, but you approach a, a personal trainer who, you know, is overweight, for example, you know, so what is it that you, you practice on your own to be able to lead this kind of lifestyle um, for um, also for your patients as well? Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This episode of Thrive Bites podcast is sponsored by Himalaya Botanic Toothpaste. Hey guys, it's Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. Have you ever had a natural toothpaste and it tasting like chalk or something just not quite right, weird, odd, maybe downright nasty? Well, when I started and tried out Himalaya Botanic, I was convinced that it was something different. One of my favorites is Whitening Complete Care Toothpaste. This toothpaste has given me very refreshing feelings and a sense of a cleaner mouth. Sometimes using natural toothpaste can feel like a trade-off. Sure, it's great to ditch the SLS and artificial flavors, but brushing with a natural toothpaste can feel flat and bland leaving your mouth with an unclean feeling. I've tried many toothpastes that either taste like bacon soda or I feel don't really work. Himalaya Botanic, our sponsor for today's episode, is a toothpaste that's free from fluoride, SLS, and artificial flavors. But unlike other similar toothpastes, they don't compromise on flavor or performance. Himalaya toothpaste is always bursting with foam and flavor. Interested in trying it yourself? Get 20% off Himalayan Botanic Toothpaste on Amazon with discount code CHEFDOC20. Check out the show notes for more details on this episode's sponsorship with Himalaya Botanic. If you have any questions, please consult your dental healthcare professional. Thanks, guys. And on to this week's episode. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. The physical parts are important, but I also think 
the more mental and psychological part of well-being uh, are perhaps even more important. So from the physical, like you mentioned, you know, exercise is vital. It activates so many of our metabolic pathways. It, there's a threshold amount we need for our genes to properly be expressed, and that's the common pathway of why exercise can affect 40 different health conditions. So I'm a big proponent of regular exercise. And something that, as I mentioned, started when I was a child, um, just exercising as a family and uh, something that I've continued to do throughout sports in high school and college and um, really till the present day. Um, I, I like to run. I call it my favorite medicine. Um, so it's <laughs> therapeutic and I value the time I have um, to just be outside running um, without a cell phone and without anyone. Definitely, definitely. Attention. So um, it's very tranquil. And the dietary portion is also extremely important to me because the foods that you eat not only influence your physical health, but the same biochemical pathways, for example, inflammation, oxidative damage, epigenetic changes, they influence your emotional and psychological well-being. There are now increasing studies showing that uh, elements in the food can affect um, your creativity, your cognitive mm. and thinking processes, um, your um, even you know, your war choice, it's pretty profound that food can alter so much of your mental and emotional state. So um, I think dietary you know, patterns are a big part of wellness. And then when I mentioned the psychological and spiritual, I think having a way to uh, be resilient with all the stress in all of our lives is critical to functioning well. Um, you know, there's so many things I implement to uh, try and build that ability. You know, none of us are perfect. Um, mm -hmm. I think there are evidence-based tools that we can use um, that really make a difference. You know, one example um, is meditation. And when I tell you that I um, do these myself so I can appreciate how hard they are when I recommend them. Mm -hmm. um, it's the perfect example. Like when I started, um, I would maybe last, I don't know, three seconds or five seconds before my mind would you know, get cluttered with all these thoughts. And um, mm -hmm. it took months, maybe even up to a full year where I kept on doing it and kept on doing it saying, okay, something's supposed to happen. Something's supposed to happen. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, you know, I was able to get into this incredible state where I can control my mind and not let intrusive thoughts come in. And I just remember at that moment, I could go for 45 minutes and even longer, and it was so powerful. But it took so much work and so much of a leap of faith that I was going to do something that would make it, you know, a difference in my mental state, you know, to be able to persist. So those are just some of the techniques, but there are, you know, as you know, lifestyle medicine is so, mm -hmm. there's so many others that touch on our motivation, our reason for being and really understanding yeah. what gets us out of bed in the morning. 
Yeah, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think it's very important to share what we do as um, healthcare professionals, providers. Um, you know, in in a in a way, we're also role models. You know, we're the we're those uh, community leaders, and uh, I appreciate you know you sharing that. Um, yeah, meditation is not uh, easy or cha- you know it's challenging for everyone. Um, I uh, in, I took a retreat um, in Vipassana meditation, and it's a very non secular technique derived from uh, the Buddha, and it teaches you in terms of how to observe all of your senses that are going through your body. Um, and I think it's, you know, sharing your uh, uh, your experience, it's really about, yeah, there's a lot of things that you don't realize that circulate in your head. You know, I like to call it the the chatterbox or the hamster wheel of thoughts. And, um, and it's very important to recognize that it's, you know, we're not those thoughts. We're not those, even, you know, even those uh, emotions, you know, at the end of the day. And yes, you know, we could digress and, you know, that could be an entirely def- different episode. But um, but I also found it very, very challenging. It was one of the hardest things that I had to experience um, and had to, you know, and that's, it's, that's something that I chose to do, but it was amazing. Um, it was very profound on a deeper level. And it's kind of hard to explain if you don't experience it. And it doesn't have to be a uh, meditation that I went through or what you went through. It's really about how, um, how you decide to practice. Um, um, and I think it's very important, as you say, that the mental, emotional, spiritual part is just that, just as, if not import, more important than the physical health. I would like to transition and talk about our current landscape of healthcare. And sometimes we have a different name of it. Sometimes people um, call it sick care. Um, and, you know, it's a form of describing our system of, you know, it's not really addressing the root cause. And I think that's how lifestyle medicine, you know, came to be, you know, Um, for those of you in the listening audience, lifestyle medicine is really using evidence-based lifestyle approaches to prevent, treat, and reverse uh, chronic disease. So my question to you is, in our culture of quote-unquote sick care, why do you think lifestyle medicine is needed more than ever? And to add to that, in an ideal world, how would you fully implement something like this? Right. You know, Colin, that is such a great question. And I think the, the need for lifestyle medicine uh, comes down to the, the simple fact that the current trends in our healthcare system are not sustainable. And by that, I, you know, not only mean from a financial basis where we um, are seeing you know, spiraling increases in healthcare expenditures where, you know, on a national level, we can't sustain. But at an individual level, we're seeing epidemic rates of diabetes, obesity, and other chronic illnesses. And the toll it's taking on quality of life, um, as well as life expectancy, um, is something that I think needs to you know, be a trend that we, um, you know, flatten the curve, if you will, on. Um, and 
you know, there was an article some time back um, showing that our children are going to be the first generation in almost 200 years that are anticipated to have a shorter life expectancy. Yeah. So I think there's such a need for doing healthcare in a different way. Um, and that different way is getting at the root cause. It's at getting at prevention, not just treatment. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree. And it's very sad, you know, to hear that our latter generations might not outlive, um, you know, the prior and, um, you know, because of X amount of reasons, because of childhood obesity, because of, you know, earlier onset of, you know, uh, last article I I read in stats was colon cancer, you know, Um, you're seeing more and more earlier uh, generations, even though their 20s are being diagnosed with colon cancer and uh, heart disease. And because of our um, the way we've been living our day to day. So it's very important to address it and to address it well. And, you know, I think the financial part of our uh, healthcare system and the costs uh, really, really weighs in and it takes up a significant portion of our gross domestic product um, of our economy. So um, I would love to learn about you know, what you do in terms of what the work you're performing at Emory. Um, Describe what Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness is. And, um, you know, to add to that, um, I would love to hear how other healthcare institutions can follow, uh, possibly follow, you know, your model and, you know, where to start. Yeah, so, Colleen, you know, we started Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness in 2017, and it's a program that we created where we could not only offer knowledge, but experiential learning in the fundamental pillars of lifestyle medicine. Those, as you mentioned, including nutrition, culinary skills, exercise, um, mental health being, um, and also um, just, you know, psychological well-being, motivation, purpose in life. And we felt very strongly that experiential learning, meaning hands-on, is what you need to build skills. You know, we've already learned that knowledge is not enough. You know, most people know that vegetables are good for them. But to build a skill in how to cook vegetables in a way that's affordable, quick, tasty in a practical way that you can implement into your life is where I think, you know, the harder challenge is. And and you need that skill set to be able to change your behavior and you need to change your behavior in order to change your risk of developing a disease. So that's really where um, our programs, you know, originate. It's out of that skill building. Mm -hmm. And we've also felt very strongly that multidisciplinary programs where we combine skill sets across the different pillars of lifestyle medicine are more effective than programs that only target one area. So for example, if we just teach a person about nutrition and and how to prepare food, but that person struggles with, you know, stress and uh, eats mindlessly out of response to stress um, as a Mm -hmm. Mechanism. Well, we really haven't helped the person if we aren't treating every dimension of their well-being. 
And so we um, created some multidisciplinary programs. You know, one in particular um, uses a teaching kitchen model where we um, brought together um, faculty members with decades of experience in you know, exercise and exercise physiology and mindfulness-based eating and yoga and ethnobotany and culinary skills and nutrition um, and across various disciplines as well as you know stress resilience. And we created a program that not only taught in a didactic way, but helped people experience and live each of the techniques. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, did it in a group setting uh, where the power of the group offered this tremendous support Mm. for people to troubleshoot, share their challenges and share solutions of overcoming those challenges. So those are the types of programs that we do. and, And some of them are done for patients. Some of them are done at a corporate level with some corporate partners. Um, but we just look for opportunities to work with uh, people who want to approach their health from a more natural lifestyle-based way. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's two points I, I love to uh, you know talk about is you know the fact that you have in a way a lot of hands on deck, uh, so to speak, quote unquote, and um, it's the multidisciplinary um, approach. And you know, I do family medicine, and um, as a general practitioner, and I'm sure for you, you know, it's it's a very 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 cool, you know, to be able to rely on your specialty care and the fact that you know if the patient is unable to. Uh, fulfill a certain aspect of their care, you know, we could, you know, rely on other specialists to, you know, jump in. I think it's interesting in terms of lifestyle medicine um, to be able to have that as well. And I totally agree with you. It's not as simple. I think when people think about health, they immediately jump towards nutrition um, and diet, which yes, that is a very, very important aspect, but there's a lot of things that are interrelated to it. And lifestyle medicine is not just the food aspect, it's, you know, the mental aspect. And you're talking about um, addressing the stress and addressing, you know, what is it, what are the external obstacles that are preventing this person from making these positive behavior changes, for example. Um, And so I love the fact that you have a lot of other uh, professionals that are helping um, as well. Um, the second thing I enjoy hearing is the group aspect. Um, a lot of what we do in primary care is a one-on-one basis. Um, I know for me, whenever I counsel someone, it's sometimes, you know, I would hit home for some people because I feel like a subset of patients are really, really self-motivated to change and they're just going to absorb whatever you, you know, Uh, counsel them, coach them, tell them in the present moment. There's another subset of patients where I find that they rather not bother uh, with their current health state and rather just band-aided with just a medication or rather just opt for the procedure. And then you have a subset of patients where they don't know where to go 
um, they're open to um, positive behavior changes, but they don't know what to do. So they're open for information. But what's powerful is the group setting. Um, I find that whenever I hold a workshop or, you know, speak, um, you know, towards a larger group audience, it's more effective. Um, and, you know, I would like for you to kind of share, you know, what, what is it about that kind of setting that makes it effective, especially for lifestyle medicine? Colin, I think the part that makes it effective is because our environment, the culture that we're in, works against our well-being, meaning that the default choices in our environment are not healthy choices. It's far easier to go through a fast food drive through than to chop up your own vegetables and create a home-cooked meal. It's far easier to sit in a car than to walk to a place to, to get exercise. So our environment is not conducive to lifestyle medicine or using lifestyle as medicine. When you create a group, you are providing support because the work that you have to do is unfortunately really difficult in our, you know, health, in our culture as a nation. And when you are working with other people that are going through the same struggles, I think it gives you the support that you need to know you're not alone. It makes it more mm-hmm. likely that you can stick with the changes that you're trying to make. And when you encounter obstacles, um, having, you know, other people to tell you how they've overcome those obstacles and maybe share ideas um, is just a powerful way to stay on track. Yeah. And I think it's the the peer, um, peer ability to be able to relate to another fellow patient. Um, and being in that same environment, I think that's why, uh, for example, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is very, um, you know, very effective and also uh, group therapy for, um, you know, for mental health is also very, uh, uh, very effective. It's that aspect of being able to share with, you know, your peers and for them to be able to relate on that level. I think that it, we need to utilize this much more. Um, it's called shared medical visits or group medical appointments uh, for those um, that are healthcare professionals in the listening audience. And we can actually bill for this. Um, there's, it just takes a creative way of, you know, reorganizing how you see your patients. For the programs that you implement and for people that are listening in that, you know, may be coming from other healthcare institutions, what would you say are uh, tips or uh, starters in terms of how they can set up similar programs within their institutions? Yeah, you know, Colin, if you're working with a large organization, so I work for a large academic health center, I think, you know, one of the keys is having organizational support. Um, because I think, you know, even when you build a program, having an organization support you can uh, help with um, you know, financial issues, with staffing, with promotion of your programs, and, and in the way that what we're doing can integrate and uh, really kind of um, coordinate with the other types of care we deliver at our institution. So the first thing is really getting organizational support. Um, The other part is delivering 
lifestyle-based medicine is best when it's done in a team-based way. Um, mm-hmm. It takes people with varying types of expertise, such as dietitians, such as um, you know, exercise physiologists or health coaches. Um, so you have to build a team. It's really difficult, but not impossible to do by yourself. But I think when you have a team, you can reinforce the same message through different perspectives and different expertise. And that makes the experience richer. Mm -hmm. Um, And on that note, I also think forming collaborations and and setting up any type of program, you know, whether it's lifestyle medicine uh, or any other type of program, a collaboration, I think, is key. I think, you know, two minds are always better than one. I think uh, the way uh, people work together to bring ideas um, together is so helpful and powerful. Um, and when you try and do the same on your own, you you can. It's not to discourage that, you know, doing some work on your own. It's just that when you bring together different ideas and work as a team, I think what you're able to do is so much greater. Yeah, I think I think especially for lifestyle medicine, I totally agree with you that it's a it's a team emphasized approach. And I feel like it's you know, having that synergy of being able to share those knowledge base and expertise um makes it that much better. Um to, for for patients and for those professionals um, alike, um, because um, even though we have the science and evidence and all that, you know, lifestyle medicine, you know, it's not a new concept. Um, it's really about you know taking those foundational pillars of lifestyle medicine. You know, you know, for the for the listening audience, it's you know, diet, nutrition, reducing risky behavior, sleep, community, love, support, physical activity. Um, it's really about emphasizing those and really, really, really building that foundation um, and to kind of hit it home to, you know, have that as part of your uh, medical uh, journey, if not, um, you know, the forefront. Um, but we also definitely say, you know, follow your, you know, primary care specialist and your primary care team, um, you know, in conjunction with all this. So Sharon, thank you so much. Um, I definitely want to close out and I love asking my guest this is, you know, how do they personally thrive? How do you personally thrive? And, you know, you do go into this a little bit and I love to hear about, you know, what pushes you to get up in the morning to do what you do? Obviously, you know, you've you know, done a lot of work within the field and you continue to do. Um, but what do you do on, you know, for yourself, um, you know, to, you know, fuel, continue to fuel that fire? You know, Con, I think the most powerful way to, to fuel the fire to keep moving forward is clearly defining for yourself uh, what your purpose is, what gives meaning to your life. And, and I think, that's the starting point. And then um, your actions and, and things that you do can align with that. And so for me, that is, you know, helping to make a difference, you know, to people um, through prevention, um, as well as to make my 
contribution at whatever level to move our culture to help reach a tipping point where wellness is the norm and where it's mainstream in our healthcare system mm-hmm. to, to focus and have conversations around nutrition or around stress management. Um, and, and for me, you know, dedicating time to that um, in addition to my other responsibilities is such a motivator. Um, it keeps me going forward. You know, we've, um, you know, there are studies that show that if you can spend 20% of your time dedicated to the things that you're passionate about that make you thrive, um, mm-hmm. it helps you, you know, around the other 80% of your time that may be spent on, on things that are just necessity, you know, to get mm-hmm. your day and, and survive. And so I try and keep that 80-20 rule um, where within, you know, not necessarily every single day, but averaged over a week mm-hmm. or a month where I try and spend 20% of my time uh, focused on doing things that fulfill my you know, personal purpose and, and mission. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I love I love it. You know, thank you so much um, again. Um, so, for the listening audience uh, members that are you know uh, hearing your story and you know your ability to uh, talk about what you do, where can they find you, and how would they reach out to you? I know that you yourself are also uh, a podcast host. Can you talk a little bit a little bit about you know what your podcast uh, showcases and how people can listen in and reach out to you? Oh, absolutely, Colin. So, you know, we both share such a passion around lifestyle medicine and uh, our podcast is called The Whole Health Cure. And and similar to those, it's spreading um, the science behind lifestyle medicine. Um, And we also have um, get experts in various areas of lifestyle medicine um, just talk about whether it's the science, whether it's practical implementation, um, whether it's leading a national organization in lifestyle medicine, um, or if some people have written content such as books or publications around it, just having people share the work that they're doing. And, you know, as I'm sure you do, it's, it's very inspirational um, mm-hmm. to learn about all the work that is being done. Um, in all the different pockets of the country and even across the world um, where, you know, people are um, doing their part and how, you know, each person doing a small part can grow into a large difference uh, for the way we approach healthcare. And your podcast is available on, you know, all the major platforms and all that? Yes, uh, we're on 12 platforms. So all the major platforms, as um, as you just said, um, and uh, and then, of course, through Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness, um, through our website, um, you can reach out to me or, or to us. And um, and hopefully, if there are any questions or ways we can help, we're, we're here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this is great. Well, thank you very, very much. Um, I think it's very important to be able to share uh, lifestyle medicine, wellness experts, and leaders in the field um, to continue to help 
you know, just charged away and pioneer um, in this. And I think you've been doing an amazing job. And I appreciate, you know, you as a person and, you know, your contribution. So very, very, uh, very, very grateful and humbled. So thank you again for being on the show today. Oh, Colin, I appreciate all the work that you do. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, guys, this has been another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like this, please uh, like, follow, and subscribe. And please catch us on the next episode. Thank you to Dr. Sharon again. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like that episode, please subscribe and follow for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.